mentorship is such a big part of helping folks grow in their careers and, and you know, you want to do your part to help folks thrive and stick around. You see that spark, you see that interest, and you want to impart the joy of it. One of the most important things to make sure that you've got those contributors coming back is that onboarding process, especially showing that that's something that you can have in your project and then let it spread from there to other maintainers, I think is something that's so vital to make sure that an open source project thrives. Hey, this is Brian, and you're listening to Jamstack Radio, a bi-weekly series where we discuss the Jamstack, a new way of building websites and apps that are fast, secure, and simple to work with. Jamstack Radio is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. Welcome to another installment of Jamstack Radio. On the line, we've got Ramon Widobro, and uh, welcome, Ramon. Well, thank you very much, Brian. This, I'm, I'm so excited to be here. Did I see correctly in the show notes, this is episode 100? This is actually episode 100, yeah. So, wow. Uh, congratulations, you have, you have made it. What an honor. We have arrived. <laughs> How exciting. I invited you on because I actually heard you on another podcast, and I was like, oh, I heard about the thing you were talking about. You were talking about open source. So I wanted to have you come on and talk about non-code contributions in open source. But first, could you introduce yourself, tell us who Ramon is and um, how you got here? Yeah, sure. My name's Ramon. I'm a developer relations engineer at Suborbital. It's my third week there. I'm doing lots of WebAssembly stuff. And my, my aim is to advocate for WebAssembly. I got started as a software engineering a freelancer. I'm based in Vienna in Austria, originally from Chile. And um, very, very quickly into my career, I started discovering meetups and that sort of thing. Mind you, this was, <laughs> I, I wouldn't say I'm old, but I'm, I'm, I'm not young anymore. <laughs> so this is back in like 2014 that I started discovering meetups. And I just, I fell in love with how passionate and caring communities, tech communities are, how empowering it is to have folks get together and, you know, help each other learn, help each other grow as, as, as engineers, as people as well. And, uh, I just instantly wanted to, to get into that. So I started, you know, helping organize, give, give talks at the meetups. Then, then I started going to conferences Then I started speaking at conferences and it kind of snowballed from there into me starting out as a developer advocate last year at uh, CodeC. I'm a big fan of meetups as well. As we we learned before hitting the uh, sort of officially starting uh, the podcast, uh, we both spent time in Tampa. And uh, my first introduction was actually at the Ruby uh, Tampa Ruby Brigade. Actually, no way. Funny you should mention that because my first meetup was the Vienna uh, meetup, okay, the Vienna excellent. Ruby, and I ended up. Or- I'm still organizing that to this day. Oh wow, wow, that's that's awesome, and I, I love folks who who take the initiative and lead community as well, because sometimes it's the hardest part is like having, being the person to actually get stuff started Yeah, and like folks who can actually, you know, cause it, it's some, maybe the hardest thing when I was running meetups was like finding speakers. Like I could yes. speak every week, but I always want to make space for other folks. Yeah, And it's part of the reason why I do DevRel myself, because my statement that I always make is like, if you want to be a good advocate, you've got to make other advocates. So basically, find other folks who would love to do that thing. Or yeah. as you'd mentioned also, I can't remember if it was before we hit record or not, <laughs> but you also help teach people how to like do public speaking as well. Yeah. So like I also do, I don't do it officially, but I'm always mentoring folks and trying to get people to come up and, and take advantage of opportunity because like there's tons of people who just haven't made the leap or the jump into what we do for our day jobs. 
Absolutely. Because you see, you see that spark, you see that, that you see that interest and you want to impart the joy of it. And mentorship is such a big, like, I love that you use that word because mentorship is such a big part of helping folks grow in their careers and, and become, you know, the same way that, that oneself, they fell in love with that community, with community in, in general. It's the same thing. You know, you want to do your part to, to help folks thrive and stick around, just like those communities help introduce you by turn introduce others. It's very joyous. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then, which brings me to the next the part of the conversation I wanted to, to swing into is like open source. Uh, so like, what's your background in open source and like, what got you interested? Yeah, I mean, that's what the topic that, we, uh, that we've got today is about because my background in open source was through non-code contributions. So that would be, as the term, as the term would say, contributions that don't uh, involve writing code. What that involves, I can get into a little bit with my story. And so what happened was, was I, when I was going to these meetups, this was at, uh, at a time that uh, initiatives like Rails Girls were at their highest, well, you know, which are uh, workshops to help get women and other underrepresented folks get into coding. And through doing those workshops and you know, mentoring at them and having a great time, I found an organization called Rails Girls Summer of Code which uh, kind of like the Google Summer of Code, if you're familiar with it, is um, the Rails Girls Summer of Code itself is a, was, a, uh, was a crowdfunded organization that helped underrepresented folks get into code. So we would do a bunch of crowdfunding and get folks to apply to do open source for a summer. Yeah. And it was life-changing for me to be able to not only, you know, help make that happen, but also, you know, talk to these people and, and, you know, see them and see them. Like I've been, I did this for so long that, you know, those folks are still around in tech today and they're thriving and it's tremendously empowering. And, um, the summer of code itself was a open source organization. So, you know, there were apps, there were Rails apps that were, you know, open source, and I would do some contributions there. But most of it from my side came from doing things like helping organize things, you know, help run meetings, keep notes for the for the app itself, do things like issue triage, that is making sure that issues are, are being handled or following up with folks who have gotten an issue assigned to them, but perhaps haven't followed up with a pull request yet, stuff like this. Advocacy. I was out there, you know, like I, especially later on with other stuff I've worked on. Uh, another organization that I joined is DistributeAid, which is an organization. I think it's the largest organization for grassroots supply chain for humanitarian aid in the world, operating in mainly in the U.S., Europe, and in and Lebanon. And so my job there is to create awareness through developer advocacy for this open source organization, which was kind of a revelation because I started doing this last year and I never thought that DevRel was something you could do as open source as well. Yeah, it's 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 the one thing that uh, I constantly talk to folks about because I, I spend a lot of time talking to open source maintainers and projects we've all heard of. There is constant push for folks to get green squares on GitHub and, and push code, but there's never enough people to do the all the other things. Yeah. So if it's like just triage issues or test a release yeah. or write a little bit of documentation that would help onboard new folks, like whether it's a contributing MD or it's a sort of a setup or a script to like, not even a script, like just like sort of, Hey, these are the things you need to know to be successful in this project. Yeah. A lot of times that stuff can get missed because like when I work on a new project, I know how it all works because I built the thing. So most times I forget to write things down until someone comes through and says, Hey, I tried using this thing and nothing's written down. Like, 
either that person is going to walk away uh, and never use the thing again, or they'll help out and write stuff down. And I, I guess my, my, my question to you is like, how do you convince people to do the non-code contributions? It's hard because like, and you, and you nailed it there, Brian, because you know, there is that push for, for GitHub squares as you called them, but getting a sort of a streak out of that for, for non-code contributions is a little trickier. So I can tell you that what worked for me to get started in that, and that was to help make me feel, I'm a, believe it or not, I'm a shy person. So the, one of the reasons I didn't get started with open source coding itself was imposter syndrome, for sure. I was like, what if I make this PR and it's totally rubbish and people tell me I'm horrible and, and, I, and tell me to go away or something? Like, they never do that, but there's still that fear, you know? And um, by being able to do something that I know I can do, which is, you know, help out, advocate, help write documentation. Like you, you were talking about this really well as well. Like with the on, help with the onboarding process, I had an interesting situation actually last week or this week where uh, somebody came onto an open source project and they said, you know, I can't, I can't uh, like NPM run start doesn't work. And it was because in the documentation, we left out the part where it says, do NPM install. Yeah. Because it's so taken for granted as a step. Yes. But for folks who are interested in getting the app up and running and perhaps don't have that, not, and it's not even like a technical background. I'm talking like a background in NPM, you know, in the JavaScript ecosystem. It's, it's, it's something that you forget and you take for granted. So that perspective is so valuable. Yeah. Even something as simple as having the dollar sign before NPM. Totally. That sometimes can be taken for granted because, like, a lot of times people will get hung up. I actually had that in some of my documentation for how to use something. And another, well, more senior engineer than myself, I just politely rose the question of like, sometimes people will copy paste all that. It's actually better not to have the, the dollar sign, yeah. even though the dollar sign is pretty common inside of Unix systems. So I was like, yeah, actually, that makes a lot of sense. And I've done that myself, where I copied the entire copy and paste the whole thing and I put the dollar sign and I'm like, oh, it didn't work. And not knowing the reading the message, I spend way more time like Googling like why it didn't work as opposed to like look at the error message right in front of me. But anyway, regardless, it could have been solved without <laughs> having the dollar sign in the documentation. And that's it. It's it's those things that that like, you know, you get used to them and you just sort of think like, oh, dollar sign. Well, I'm not gonna copy that. But especially if you've got stuff like those those fancy copy buttons that copy the whole thing in Markdown, you know? Yeah. Then it, it, it sneaks in. Yeah. Um, and it's this sort of thing. So by 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 doing stuff like noticing these things, helping out with with documentation, putting in pull requests, helping to establish procedures can be so important for things like communication, like contribution guidelines. Yeah, those are super helpful. It's a given that some projects have them, but uh, not all projects are created equally. Like literally, Absolutely. like sometimes you, it's, it's a side project that someone did over the weekend. I just built a side project a couple weeks ago and have not shipped any code to it since. And because I don't have time to go back to it, but it's not really well documented. I don't talk about it because I know that it's not well documented. And it's more of like, I wanted to scratch an itch. I shipped it. Yeah. It lives. And, uh, <laughs> and one day I'll go back and write documentation. Or what's going to happen is someone will knock on my door and be like, hey, I found this thing you built. Can I improve it? And I'm like, actually, yes. Uh, here are the 10 things I would love to have in this project. Just do one of them. And then that will encourage me to do another one. 
Absolutely. And that creates a bit of a momentum that then turns into, and you can totally upgrade from non-code, upgrade, if you can even call it that, like go from non-code contributions to those contributions. Once you, like for me, it's a nice way to get into a project. Yeah. Maybe you see, for example, that a bunch of issues are open and you can just follow up on some of them, help triage those issues. Like we're talking about meetups, run, like you can totally organize meetups around those projects especially the the larger ones that need that advocacy I, I forgot i forgot how they put it but it's like you know this is essentially what you're doing is promoting their project they're not gonna hate that <laughs> no and that's that's the one thing that i always celebrate one of my um previous guests but i consider a friend as well anthony ajc web dev on github one of his biggest things is he goes through each project that if he try, hears something on npm or something's trending on github he goes and like just tries it out and then writes yeah. a blog post about it Love that. So, like, it's a series that he just says it's a first look, and then enter the technology. And uh, it's not—he's not building anything to become famous or get lots of stars. He's just more donating his time and a blog post yeah. to an experience, so that way, folks can—if you're looking for the first look for Vite or the first look for React 18, like you're going to find one of his blog posts because he's just—he just makes it this thing that. I'm going to test out all this stuff and see if there are any corner cases, edge things, like or just like missing documentation. Just document that in a blog post, and then if he has time or someone else has time, they can do a follow up on that. But at least he knows that he's going to look at every single new open source project and release as they come out. I love I love what you touched upon there because it sort of goes into lending you know one's own skills as well, right? Yeah. So Anthony's, for example, like if, you know, since they enjoy that, all the, all the writing, the blog posts, like totally like what works for you can also totally be applied as a non-code contribution. For example, for me last year, I discovered that I was pretty okay at live streaming, right? So what I started doing with Distributate every week, for example, was just getting together on live stream every week and just coding on stuff, just, you know, talking out loud, talking with, with Taylor, the head there, and just, you know, going through issues, creating issues, sort of encouraging folks like, hey, we just made an issue, totally go ahead and claim it. So, I mean, it, there was some coding, but it, a lot of it is also non-coding, is spreading some awareness. And that was all sponsored by Codesy, which was awesome. Like, super cool of them to be able to do that. Yeah, and uh, you actually spent some time working at Codesy. We we talked about it before I hit record, but I actually wanted to... I would love to you to, to, uh, share about the job share idea that you had because uh, I think it's a, a pretty clever way to break into DevRel. But can you explain your your time at CodeC and what CodeC is, and then how your role worked? Yeah, and that and that's that was a tremendous kindness done to me by by my friend Jessica, who who is just amazing. She she came up to me one day and just said like, "Hey, you know, I've got this idea for for doing something." She's she has loads of experience in DevRel, and she approached me one day and just said like, "Hey, do you want to do this job share thing where we would split?" a full-time employment between the two of us, essentially. So we both would do part-time and fulfill one role. And the objective there was for her to supervise me as I did, as I learned and I, and I grew as a, as a DevRel. So she, you know, and I got to sort of shadow her as she did things like strategizing, you know, creating goals, uh, determining metrics, come up with campaigns and that sort of thing. Uh, and I would sort of help out. And then I grew into that role where I became head of open source at, at CodeC. Uh, and where my role was to help leverage Codesy's code understanding tools to help open source projects thrive. And then, you know, through Distributed, I then started doing things related to, you know, because thinking about me and, and uh, that shyness I mentioned previously, how could I help 
tear down that that barrier of open source. That's sort of my fear as well. So one thing we did was we had a live stream show where every week we would bring on a new guest. They were maintainers of open source projects. And the aim of the show was to just onboard me onto it live. Oh, nice. And like zero looking at the code, like zero experience necessary in that programming language and just like go at it. And by every one of them, I'm happy to say we had a pull request. And it was just a ton of fun. Like, and it, and it really helped eliminate some of that fear for me. Uh, and I think, and I hope for viewers as well. So, it, you know, like I, I, br- I wrote programming languages I've never written in my life, like Go and Python and stuff. It was just, it was a blast. Yeah, I was doing something very similar. Not so much uh, we'll get to a pull request, but I was doing a meeting with open source maintainers. We call it Open Source Friday, which is very tongue in cheek because it was an existing term. But I had like the maintainer of Next.js walk me through how testing works cool. and how like deploys work uh, whenever they deploy to npm. And it was like mainly my goal. What I was doing for that is I wanted to get the hairiest problem stuff that the context inside documentation was always lost. And it's like, show me it. Um, because like if I can have a senior engineer or somebody else who knows the code better than me, then I'm going to be unstuck quicker. But the combination of like getting to write a pull request and 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 I'm very I'm familiar with Code C's product too as well. Like it's a really, really good way to one, advocate for a product, but also two, advocate for new developers in open source. Absolutely. Because I think one of the most important things to to get right there and to make sure that you've got those contributors coming back is that is that onboarding process is making sure, you know, especially as projects grow and you're not as available as I would love to say, you know, to be able to do things like uh, one-on-one onboarding sessions with a with a new contributor. Like if I had a new project now, I would I would be very happy to have folks come on and just be like, hey, do you want to just pair on this? I feel like that yeah, especially showing that that's something that you can have in your project and then let it spread from there to other maintainers, I think is something that's so vital to make sure that that an open source project thrives. That's what I liked about doing the 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 live streaming because it was, you know, it was regular, but it also fit into that sort of like, let's just show you how we work. Yeah. Something I find that's super important for about about live streaming itself is that it, it kind of starts like going into is like, is this a code or a non-code contribution? And I think showcasing the fact that as a senior developer, we don't have all the answers right off the top of our heads. And so like live streaming is great because it eliminates all possibility of like, let me just edit this video real quick and Google something. Yeah, Like you, you got to be there. You, you get stuck and you're like, all right, let me, let me open the Webpack configuration and see what's going on here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's great. Yeah. And honestly, what I like about it, uh, so I also live stream this consistently just on my own side project, uh, which is open source. And the focus, like whenever I get stuck, it's always, let me just drop the question in chat. And as I'm Googling, other people are Googling with me. Yep. And then what usually happens, someone's like, hey, here's a link. Here's a stack over for question. I'm like, ah, oh, cool. Let's open up this getter. And and that's it. Like if you think about it, that's kind of an online ensemble programming environment. What you've got there, yeah. You know, uh, if you're not familiar with the term, it's like it's like pair programming where you've got a driver and a navigator, but with an ensemble with you, where of folks who are like you said, googling stuff, giving out suggestions. Yeah. And that's another way, by the way, that you can do a non-code contribution by facilitating events like these. That's how I got into into distributed by uh, helping them facilitate this event and. You know, with very little experience in the code base, I was able to get in and you know have folks, folks who had never written TypeScript before. Again, it's it's so I. There's something about that collaborative aspect that I find so magical that that folks can 
like they'll be hesitant to switch. Like, oh, you know, I've never done TypeScript. It's like, it's fine. We'll do it together. We'll look up stuff together. We'll get stuck together, and it'll be totally fine. It's it's super fun. Are you still doing live streaming, uh, live coding at the moment? I was um, actually. I we Jessica and I just wrapped up a six week free boot camp where we were live streaming lessons. Oh yeah, I heard about this. Yeah, so we're sort of resting off of that. I think it ended two weeks ago, and uh, and so we were doing lots of live streaming them, and I loved it. Let me tell you. Um, speaking of getting stuck. Because, you know, like when you're helping folks learn to code from like from very relatively beginner levels, a lot of the things that we take for granted today is like, oh, yeah, getting stuck is fine. It's no problem. Or not fully understanding JavaScript promises. It's no problem. It's fine. But when you're starting out and you're and you're do, going through lessons and they're like, ah, one of the things that you're going to be learning about is JavaScript lessons. And if you find yourself not grokking that fully, a lot of learners would come to me and be like, like recursion hasn't clicked yet. And I don't feel like I can do this. Yeah. And that's tremendously disheartening for them, but also, I don't know if distressing is the right word, but it's definitely, like, it, it hurts. Like, it, it, it hurts my heart, you know, to see that that folks are getting frustrated by things that, again, that we take for granted at this, like, after a few years of experience. My point of my complete ramble there was that during one of the lessons, we we're, like, we were doing one of the JavaScript exercises on free code camp together, and one of them was a very complicated um, manipulating objects, uh, JavaScript objects exercises. And I got so stuck on that. Like each lesson was 60 minutes long and I spent 20 minutes of it on this exercise. And I was like crying inside. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. And like, I'm trying not to look at the chat in case people are going like, come on, just do this or just do that. But um, I did solve it in the end and, you know, we moved on. But for the next week after that, I got so many DMs from people being like, Ramon, like kudos for getting over that exercise. It looked hard. Thank you so much for this because it showed me that senior developers get stuck too. Yes. And it showed like a real life situation of getting frustrated, of being like Googling stuff. And it it felt like one of those moments, like those big career moments where you're like, wow. Yeah, it's the uh, and as you you started off this conversation like the imposter syndrome and yeah. uh, even like shyness, like you, you obviously can like turn it on, turn it off because like we're having a conversation. I feel like the shyness is not really relevant or prevalent, or our imposter syndrome <laughs> is here. But but like in reality, it's like someone just needs to know that they can do it. And I think a lot of times, like with things like Rails Girls, like the reason why those organizations exist because like you want to see people that look like you that can help mentor and promote you, like show you the path and the way. And if like you don't feel like you belong, you won't, you won't belong. Like you won't join yourself in this group. So, which is very why it's so powerful for things like non-code contributions, but also even organizations to to make that path. So that way people can find their way. So if your introduction to open source is, ah, uh, you know what? All I do is just make sure the the thing installs. Like I just install stuff and uh, then I I walk away. Like that's my job. And uh, sometimes that's a really good way to start. Like just seeing if you can clone the repo and get it to run locally on your machine. Because if it's going to take, if, if your machine melts, uh, apologies if it's one of my repos. <laughs> but if it, if, it, if it does melt or if it doesn't run, then that's a really good problem to solve. Yeah. And then like what I usually, going back into like code contributions, like when folks are looking for issues uh, and like they, that a lot of the, the feedback during Hacktoberfest and like, 
during Christmas and the, the, the advent of code is like, oh, there's no good first issues. Well, mm. if you want a good first issue, sometimes you got to open your own issues yeah. too. So like the step one could just literally be install it locally, see what's broken. If it's broken, open up an issue. And then what I, I usually do is I show you exactly what code to write and what to do because I know what's wrong because I wrote it. Yeah. But if you would be willing to take this on, you've got a mentor for as long as you want to hang out in this project. And uh, sometimes that could be an opportunity for folks to continue to level up, which I have mentors, you have mentors. The first step is basically just like taking the first step, which is totally ironic way to put it, but that's that's how I'm gonna make that statement. I and I think that's that's extremely correct and powerful. I think, you know, by taking that first step and at the same time for us as maintainers, doing everything we can to make it apparent that we're here for you. Yeah. You know where possible understanding uh that of course we're human beings and we need to we need to rest we need to work, work our day jobs but you know what can we as maintainers do to help facilitate and and encourage those contributions be it code or non code for example one thing i'm doing at distributed at the moment is working on our website which podcast name is a is a gatsby website right yeah and what what can we do to encourage and help with those non-code contributions. So we installed a headless CMS is one of our yep. one of our jobs. So and I find this interesting because I hope that there isn't, but just in case there is, there might be a connotation of the fact that a non-code contribution might be easier. And I, it, you can't see it if in audio, but I'm using quote marks uh, with my hands. Like it might be easier to do uh, or or less work to do non-code contributions. But I think it's an absolutely vital part to the to the livelihood of a project. So what we as tech as tech contributions can do to help facilitate that, for example, installing a headless CMS so that changes don't have to be made by hopping into an MDX file or something, right? But instead logging into the CMS and having that do the GitHub stuff for you, setting that up is also something incredibly important and empowering for folks to be able to join in and eventually get curious and be like, all right, but how do I customize this CMS? Or how do I change the color of the header? And then sort of like use that as an entryway, you know? Yep, yep. It's uh, like sometimes these good first interactions and issues are like they're, they're breadcrumbs left by the maintainers, either intentional or non-intentionally to have that sort of on-ramp or into uh, making the contribution. So like exactly. at the moment, I'm, I'm making a very, I make some trivial changes to the projects that I work on. And then sometimes I'm just like, you know what? This one's not, it's not critical path. Like I could actually let this sit for a bit. So let me actually write exactly what I would do. Open up that issue and just let it sit there until someone sort of discovers it. It's like, hey, I found an issue that no one's been claimed. Like, yes, please claim it and ask questions. And uh, I've been able to grow my community in a way that organically, like people cycle off as you get new jobs and you have to go like family stuff, totally understandable. But I always have something for someone to come to uh, in, in the in the event that I do have a new contributor or potential interest that come through. Yeah. Uh, which I wanted to ask you, like where where is a, a place that folks can find projects to contribute to? Like, that are looking for contribution, uh, especially even non-code contributions. Yeah, and working on that visibility was something that actually I was doing at Codesy, which was um, working on a place for where maintainers could present 
the onboarding process of their projects. So we were working on something called OSS port, still being worked on. I think there's a revamp coming, which I'm super excited uh, about. But there's a whole plethora of other places like open source, for example, right? Like where folks can come in and find and level up their level up their open source contributions. GitHub as well. You know, GitHub has their explore tab, which has a whole bunch of places where you can look for projects to to contribute to. But a lot of the time the way I find projects is by, of course, this was easier when you could do so in person more, <laughs> more readily. Yeah. Um, was just talking to folks, you know, going, going out, expanding your network and seeing, seeing what's needed. Jessica introduced us to, to distribute aid. And so I got to know them. And, you know, by, by being able to do my part in facilitating humanitarian aid, there's that activism aspect to it that I thought, okay, I'll do what I can here. To, and, and a lot of it was learning. A lot of it was learning. Like before I started, humanitarian aid was something that I was pretty ignorant about. So it's 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 taking a bit of a leap of faith as well, and sort of diving in. When I dived into Rails Girls, I was like, well, you know, as a white cis man myself, I was like, I got to do what I can to make tech more more inclusive and approachable. So I started volunteering there, and you know, it's kind of spiraled from there. So. At the risk of sounding cheesy, follow your heart as well. Follow what what is important to you. If it's work that's meaningful to you, do it, uh, and and find what you can. Yeah, it, it's quite possible. Like if you're not enjoying it, it's going to be harder to do and hard to wake up to. Which at that point, probably find something you do enjoy. Um, so if it's not writing code, like non-code contributions is a thing. But if it's like going outside and like leveraging code on your drone or on on your tablet or whatever it is like yeah. there's also so many different ways to get involved so Ramon thanks so much for the conversation yeah thank you I did want to transition to picks but I just want to shout out folks we, we have so many links and stuff like that definitely find the show notes heavybit.com uh, you'll find JMSAC radio and you can find links there but also reach out like I, I I'm super impressed with your background, Ramon. Oh, thank you. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> folks can find you and and have the conversation and even like connect uh, to some of the organizations you're you're a part of. Yeah, totally. Um, and in fact, you know, I I love meeting folks. Like it's one of the it's one of my selfish joys in tech. So please feel free to reach out. <laughs> cool. Speaking of reaching out, we're going to transition the picks. So these are jam picks, things that we're jamming on. Could be music, food, technology related. There's no real limit. Uh, it's just something that you're interested in that you want to share with the audience. So um, you've actually come prepared with picks. So do you want to go first? Uh, sure, I've got a couple. Um, the first is I, I want to do a cheeky plug for the distributed uh, organization. Like if, if what I've talked about today sounds interesting to you and you'd like to contribute, uh, I've put a link to the donate page in the show notes, distributed.org slash donate, be it financial or code, you'll find an open collective as well. Absolutely feel free to join in and, and, and help out. The, my other pick is a little less serious. Uh, I wanted to sh- give a quick shout out to, a, to an open source plugin I found for OBS. Uh, if you're not familiar with OBS, it's open broadcasting software, for uh, which is used by a lot of uh, live streamers out there. And one of the things that I found pretty interesting at pretty early on was a lack of support for automatic live captioning. Yep, and inclusivity as probably uh, probably uh, implied is something pretty important to me. So there's this really easy plug and play captioning plugin that lets you do open and closed captions. I learned the difference between those. I don't know if you've if you've heard of this. Yeah, I, I actually went down the rabbit hole on, on captioning as well in OBS. No way. <laughs> uh, and I, I just I checked that I actually already started this repo. Oh yeah. Uh, so I definitely have have tried this out. 
Awesome. Yeah, it's super helpful and and lets me um if you're doing OBS stuff, absolutely check it out. But I got to I got to have something also kind of so I'm going to go ahead and um pick a board game if I may. Oh, please. Yeah, I I've, I've been getting in a lot of board games the last couple of years. Same here, you know, you know with with everything being so remote, uh, a friend a friend of mine very kindly started there's this game on Steam called um uh Tabletop Simulator. Yes. Which has allowed her to introduce me to a bunch of board games. And she introduced me to a very chill game called Azul. That's like uh, Portuguese slash Spanish for blue. Uh, A-Z-U-L. And that's that's a fun sort of like, it reminds me of like these match three computer games. Super chill to play with friends. Uh, and uh, lets you have like a cup of tea and just talk about stuff while you play it. So that's my, I, I apologize, not very short picks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess I'll add it as a pick, but I got into Skull. Which is a it's like a, a very simple card game uh, where you have like they, they call them tokens, but it was like a a pirate game like hundreds of years ago, and it got resurgence like a hundred years ago. Wow! And um, yeah, I was playing online with a couple other GitHub employees uh, as like a sort of icebreaker hangout. Awesome! Um, have a meal together and play a game. So I loved it so much. I bought the actual the in person IRL version. But yeah, I've gotten really into like online gaming yeah. through pandemic trying to connect with friends and stuff like that so yeah skull was my first pick my second pick was actually i just got a new grill which is the kamado joe ah. and um that is i haven't actually have not used it but i actually feel like i've used it because i watched so many videos on it <laughs> i had the benefit of moving to further into the suburbs of oakland so I have a backyard now. So I am 100% doing dad life, American style. Going to be barbecuing this weekend. Awesome. And then last pick I I'd mentioned it alluding to, um, I built a project and I haven't touched it in weeks, but it's socialcarding.com. <laughs> and uh, I've always, I always like try to look at my social cards for all the sites I build and make sure there's something, if I put it on Twitter, it has a nice image. And I've also liked to test other people's social cards to see what they have. Uh, and just know like how to organize mine to make sure it looks proper. So in order to test that, I usually go to like socialcardpreview.twitter.co or whatever. And I'm like, oh, it'd be cool like if I had my own, like where I can put a URL in there and then download the image in case I need it. Because it's a couple of times I've actually needed that image and save it for something else. But uh, socialcarding, <laughs> I-N-G at the end, dot com. And all you do, it's just a simple... At this point, it's a next app, but I might rewrite it into something faster and simpler, like Eleventy or something. But you just add a URL; it'll present you your social card if it exists, and then you could you have the choice to download it. So, pretty simplistic, but I'm really, really into simple ideas right now that solve simple problems because I don't want to maintain something longstanding forever. But this thing I could just throw out there for anybody. So, if anybody's really good at, at design and wants to tell me how to make this look a little nicer. All I have is a form and a title. I could use help on trying to figure out how would you approach to make this a more a ple- like a pleasing and aesthetically pleasing simple form to look at. This is so helpful. Thanks, Brian. Like I, I had, I had no idea I needed this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, oh. So we made social cards at GitHub. I did we. I tested it. The engineer that made it. I was testing it for him, and it was like as I was testing it, I was like, oh, it'd be cool if I could just like not try to figure out what the Twitter URL is to try to figure out how to test these. Yeah. My other testing platform was go to Slack, 
and send the message to myself mm-hmm. and I've see what that. the preview looks like <laughs> just to see if it was working. So now I have an entire site dedicated to testing social cards. So it's you, you know, scratch your own inches, people. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're our own best customers in a way. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. And we, we have a very powerful skill, which is writing code for it's either going to be sites like this or it's going to be something else random to figure out if you can buy what is it turnips on Sundays in Animal Crossing mm-hmm. that was a mm-hmm. that was a big deal early pandemic oh yeah yeah tons of sites like that <laughs> Ramon thanks so much for coming and chatting about contributing to open source and all the things you're involved in thank you and the uh, listeners keep spreading the jam that's all the time we have for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. 